0: What's up, everybody? It's Ben. Normally, here on the podcast uh, feed, we have conversations where it's just Caleb and I sitting down and we're breaking into something that we're trying to study here in Brooklyn and just give little overviews of sections of text and stuff. Uh, This series is a little bit different, and we thought it'd be worth putting here on the feed so that both people here in Brooklyn and maybe those of you who tune in in other places might be benefited from some Bible class discussions that we've had recently regarding politics and how Christians should view politics. I and say at the outset, this isn't um, a study that's designed to tell people how they should vote or even if they should vote or how they should participate politically or if they should participate politically. It's more about the kind of perspective Christians should have about their relationship to government and politics. Uh, these are class discussions conducted over Zoom over a period of weeks here in the late summer, early fall of 2020. Um, Obviously, the audio quality is rough in some spots, so you hope you can forgive that. Um, We just thought some people might find it valuable to listen to what some other people are dealing with and thinking about in Scripture. And if you have any questions or things you want to talk about, as always, reach out to us. Let us know what you think, and we hope that all of us can think of ourselves not so much as Americans or as citizens of any nation of the world, but as citizens of heaven, followers of King Jesus. Thanks for tuning in, as always. We hope this is helpful for you. all right everybody we're gonna be continuing of course our study thinking about how Christians are supposed to view politics and just to get us warmed up on that uh, I'm gonna we're gonna review a little bit of what we've talked about the past couple weeks and if anybody wants to um, add in any um, thoughts related to these before we get into our discussion night that'd be fantastic but let's go ahead and start here with uh, Just some some reminders of what we've already talked about as we think about being kingdom people here in 2020. uh, We've talked about, well, let me not reveal all of them tonight. What we're going to talk about is Christ and the politics of the world in his world. So if you want to turn to Luke chapter 13, that's where we're going to be in just a minute, starting at least. Luke chapter 13 as we look at Jesus specifically, which I think is really helpful. A lot of the discussions we've had leading up to this have been really conceptual kind of broad strokes things as far as um, God's kingdom, God's relationship to government, God's people in the world and their relationship to uh, our neighbors. Uh, this, uh, the next really three discussions we're going to have are, I think you're going to zero in and get a little bit more, we're going to get up in each other's business a little bit more about how to think specifically about politics and political matters some truths that we've been finding. Of course, a lot of these things are taking a lot of Bible study is taking truths and just learning the truth and then figuring out how that truth is supposed to be employed in our day-to-day life. So here's some truths about government that we've seen over the past few weeks. One, the world, which includes society and politics is ruled by the evil one, by Satan. Two, the gospel of Christ is a political message. In the midst of a world ruled by evil, the kingdom of God is a kingdom, which is a political word. Jesus is king. That's a political office that Jesus holds. It's a divine politic. It's a, it's a spiritual kind of politics. It's not the same kind of politics we think about around us. But we do need to understand that we, therefore, uh, belong to this other political entity as we follow after Jesus. Third truth, and not to lay out all of these right now, but we've discussed them previously, and we will again, I'm confident. God has commanded his people how to live in relation to world governments. He doesn't just leave us to wonder, what are we supposed to do? He gives us some, at least, really specific directives about how we are or are not supposed to relate to governments. Uh, Related to that, every human authority, every human authority exists by God's appointment. And that's tough for us, but we saw a number of passages in the Old Testament, Pharaoh, Cyrus, uh, what's-his-face, Nebuchadnezzar, Pilate, even with Jesus— all speak to the fact that human authority exists by God's point. That doesn't mean they're all approved by God. Matter of fact, the reason why a lot of them are highlighted being appointed by God is because they're being punished or they're being disciplined because they're not handling their business right. But still, every human authority exists by God's appointment. All right, last two truths that we've uh, hit on the past few weeks. Uh, one would be that Israel, as a prototype of Christ's church, was commanded to abstain from political entanglement with worldly nations in order to remain holy to God. Now, we saw last week in our discussion about uh, Babylon and the Babylonian exile that that didn't mean entanglement is not the same as engagement. You can engage with something or someone without becoming entangled with them or relying on them or forming an alliance with them. And of course, that's what the Babylonians did. But it is important that we hold on to this, that Israel was um, prohibited from entangling themselves with worldly nations and with the politics of the world. Anything that they did do in the world. Uh, was for them to relate and engage with worldly politics as exiles. God's people don't really belong in the world. We're exiles, and we may engage with the world. We may, to some measure, have some kind of participation, but ultimately, we understand ourselves and we relate to the world around us as outsiders, as exiles. Let me pause for a second. Any of you wanna, uh, remember to take yourself off mute if you got something to share here. Any other just fundamental truths? Again, not necessarily, we're not looking for conclusions about how we should or shouldn't live. These are just some of these fundamental truths that we've come to as we've studied scripture in, in terms of fundamental, in terms of our thinking about politics and government. Anything we should add here that you guys wanna highlight or point out? All
1: right. And can I ask a question? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, the just, I think we talked about it, but I kind of forgetting the difference between um, being entangled with worldly pol- politics and being engaged with those politics. Uh, I th- what, what I mean to communicate by
0: saying that is to be entangled is like Israel, for instance, they would, um, you know have these international alliances with foreign nations in order to derive power from them. Maybe it would be with Egypt or with Syria or different nations. And it was, hey, we, we want to form an alliance, like we'll take our king's daughter, can marry your king's son, and that'll formulate a tight bond and we're gonna rely on each other for power and strength and we'll support each other and that sort of thing. That was condemned. Now, when they are in Babylon, we saw Daniel and his friends, they were serving in political office, Uh, they were, I mean, the, the exiles were encouraged to seek the welfare of the place where they were. So they were engaged with their society, but at the end of the day, they weren't really caught up. If Babylon said, we're going to kill you guys, they'd be like, all right, well, we got to obey God. It really doesn't matter what you're going to do. Sorry. You can go ahead and kill us. Does that make sense? The difference between being entangled versus engaged?
1: Yeah. I think especially the, um, the first part where, I mean, both of it, but the idea of, uh, not aligning yourselves with that makes sense because you could be you could be taking part in government but if you're aligning yourselves like with other politicians and stuff you know in a way when they're worldly people and you're making these alignments that you know you're going to have to they're going to expect something uh worldly of you you as favors and stuff that would be like entangled as opposed to just participating
0: yeah, and these are things where we can see this in the Old Testament. The tricky part is figuring out when do you cross that line. And a little yeah. bit of is what every person has to figure out. But good question. Any other questions or thoughts related to some of these uh, truths or some of the conclusions that we've been drawing the past few weeks from these truths? Y'all want to say anything else about this before we move on? Okay, so like I said a minute ago, tonight what we're going to talk about is Christ and the politics uh, of the world. I've got the world. Maybe I should have said Christ and the politics of his world in terms of when he was on earth, how did Jesus engage with political forces surrounding him? That's what we're going to talk about for the next little bit. I was going to tell you, this is going to be a pretty simple class. What we're going to do is we're going to read some texts and then I'm just going to throw it out to you guys. Uh, I may ask some more specific questions and really try to show some analogies between what Jesus was doing and what we're doing Um, it'd be great. The more that everybody can kind of throw out thoughts, the better as we go through a few texts here and look at how Jesus interacted with various political matters in his day. So Luke chapter 13, I want to, I want to note the, this, the context and the the setting here in Luke chapter 13, as Jesus is uh, engaging in a political matter. Maybe I should just reiterate one thing that we mentioned earlier. Jesus was an exile. I mean, he was the exile of all exiles. He was an outsider. He wasn't even from planet Earth at all, right? Secondly, Jesus was an exile who was a king coming to claim his authority and his territory, his kingdom, and to set it up. And so whenever we think about Jesus and his interactions with politics, it uh, it fits in with some of the things we've previously noted. However, he interacted really sets the standard. That doesn't mean every single particular detail is going to be precisely the same for us, but it does set up the pace for how we should view our relationship to worldly politics. Because just like he was an exile, we're exiles. Just like he's the Holy One of God, we're a part of the Holy Nation of God. Just like he was the king, we are members of his kingdom. And so what we're doing here is really learning from our king how we should view and think about politics in our day. Uh, Maybe it's also worth saying a little bit about the Roman world. Um, But I'm going to hold off on that, actually. And let's just get into this so we can start talking, so I'll stop monologuing. Uh, Luke 13, verse 1. Now, on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood that Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. All right, I'm going to ask a question here, and I'm going to ask you to draw analogies from this story with um, political discourse in America today. Right wing, left wing, awkward wing, whatever wings there are, what are parallels that we see in what happened here uh, versus what, what would happen in our day? Let me explain what happened here in a little bit more detail. Some of you guys may already be familiar. So Galileans, a poor, but the Galilee was a poor region of uh, the Judean territory, uh, looked down upon, despised kind of place, not where you want to be. Backward folks are there. Pilate was a roman governor he was not a jew he was a roman governor who was appointed over the region of galilee and judea and that whole area he had uh, we're, we're fuzzy on the details this is about all we've got historically about this is what's listed right here in luke 13. apparently he had killed some galileans it says that he had taken the blood of those galileans so he we can presume i think we can presume pretty fairly based on what else we know about Pilate. Brutally, uh, unjustly, killed Galileans, took their blood, and mixed it with their sacrifices. So, not only does he disrespect their lives by killing them and taking their blood uh, to, to use however he wants, but he mixes it with their sacrifices. So, not only does he brutalize a, a group of people here, he also messes around with religious practices, which were very near and dear to the heart of uh, the people of the day. Let me pause for just a second. What do you think? And by the way, so Jesus is going to have a little conversation about this issue. Uh, People are going to bring this up. What would be some contemporary analogies or parallels for us in the United States of America? What would be the sorts of things that would be similar or parallel or analogous to the Galileans being killed and having their blood um, used to mess up? the religious devotion of the jews
1: ben yeah um i'm thinking of and i don't want to offend anyone here uh, when the um sorry the uh i can't remember who it was when the war in iraq when the um the people in uh uh being you know tortured were made to do really humiliating things and they, you know, supposedly like, you know, stepped on the Quran or, or you know, urinated on it or things like that made them, uh, you know, take off their clothes, which I knew, and they, they knew these things were sacred to them. I mean, I guess, I don't know if that would be considered a part of tactics, but it's, it's seems similar to me. It feel, feels it. Uh,
0: look, and I don't know who could be offended by you pointing that out. That's incredibly degrading. And, uh, and no matter how wrong someone is in their religious views, that kind of treatment is dehumanizing and horrifying. Yeah, that's a great example of uh, something. Other examples of, of content, maybe some contemporary – by the way, it doesn't have to be exactly parallel, but other contemporary parallels where people would – people, by the way, apparently were really up in arms about this, and understandably so. What would be some other contemporary issues? By the way, Brian kind of poked in by saying, hey, I hope I don't offend anybody – Listen, y'all, Like, uh, we don't need to worry about it. Uh, th- th- we're, we're, not, um, we're not right or left people. We're Jesus people, which means we're interested in righteousness, which means we see all the sins around us, and they, they deeply disturb us. So don't, don't yeah. be bashful to uh, highlight uh, similar kinds of sins or problems that we see today. Uh, other parallels that might be similar in our society or in our national or political discourse, similar to the Galileans being uh, killed and then being um, having their blood mixed with sacrifices.
2: Uh, then, I mean, I don't think this is as extreme, but I still think it's an issue where it doesn't matter kind of what side of the political aisle you're on, building of scripture righteousness. So I think it's one specific issue. Maybe it is a group of people that quote unquote claims to be of Christ, believes one thing or believes something that's. It's actually not taught in scripture, you know, like, I think that that kind of overall manipulation of, of the word of God is, is just as denigrating to us as a, as a separate kingdom, if that makes sense.
0: Okay, good. And Brittany, uh, the connection kind of cut in out a little bit. I'm going to make sure I think I understood what you're saying, but correct me if, if I didn't pick it all up. Um, you're saying like the, the usage of religious um, rhetoric or whatever in the civic public discourse and the abuse of that is denigrating to um, the true faith. And similar to how these sacrifices are being messed up, discourse can, uh, 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 related to the faith, can actually mess up the actual faith. Was that what you were getting at? Like I said, the connection kind of got a little there. Yeah, that's exactly
2: what I was getting at
0: good i think that's a great one yeah other parallels to this as you guys can imagine would be big issues um in our in our contemporary culture let me highlight a couple i'm just gonna go and hit the red buttons uh, off right off the bat here so everybody else will feel comfortable to hit more um i appreciate uh, brian and Brittany pointing them out here um but how about this people uh, a, a certain class of people that the authorities have disregard for that sound familiar. All right. So this is a pretty easy parallel to uh, the brutalization of black people by law enforcement, which happens like, that's not something I'm mean, that's not a political, how to deal with that, how to solve that. That's a political question and issue. But if you are a human being who had all cares, and if you love God, you're going to, you, you hate the fact that there are people who are disproportionately mistreated by the authorities. Like the Galileans who were mistreated by Pilate. Okay. Uh, how about another? Oh, please go ahead.
2: I was just listening. My, my mom was I was distracted for a full minute, but um, I was looking li- listening to it, and I think like the, the, the defacing of um religious statues of, and also like putting up the swastika signs is somewhat similar to what um, they were doing. Back in that
0: time, the Roman time. Great attacks on places of worship or uh, or things like that. Yeah, like you said, defacing different uh, um, you know significant um, emblems that have religious significance. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, how about another class of people in in our nation that are um, disproportionately affected by? Uh, unjust practices that are encouraged or or at least allowed by the government we can think about children before they they emerge from the womb and how they're left vulnerable and how their blood is spilled now that's a horrifying thing um how about besides some of the things you guys have referenced as far as just religious discussion religious context there be a lot there are a lot of people who get concerned about various things that perceived are real they, they perceive to be attacks on religious liberties and uh, people having the freedom to worship and to express their worship in whatever context they may, they may see fit. All right, so all, all these would be similar things. So I don't think I have to even ask you guys how most um, people who claim to follow Jesus in the United States of America, how they talk about those things and how we engage with those things. I want you to notice how Jesus talks about it. And let's just have some discussion. How did Jesus handle issues of his day? that are similar to the issues that we may see in our political environment. All right, you ready? Here we go. Luke 13, let's keep reading. Verse 2. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or you can see here in the text, by the way, Jesus uh, moves on from the, the bad behaviors and the bad public policies that were of his day uh, to also talk about just current events, bad things, sad things that were happening. And I don't know if there was any politician responsible for the tower that fell, but maybe Maybe it was bad building codes that allowed it to or something like that. Okay, But whatever it was, what do you notice about how Jesus spoke about current events of his day, how he talked about um, political actions that were being taken, about the society at large? What's interesting to you about what Jesus says or, frankly, what he doesn't say? Because I'll tell you for me personally, I'm just as intrigued by what Jesus doesn't say here or how he doesn't choose to engage with this stuff. As much as i am about how he does so discuss what do you guys see here about how jesus talks about uh, the politics of his day and politics and current events we should say
1: well he doesn't mention at all what the supposed terrible things might have been that some of these people did um and it's interesting he he, he takes the conversation away from any kind you know any kind of discussion about maybe this was because they were being judged. Um, and he puts it onto the people. He puts it onto, and he takes it out of politics and he puts it onto the, the, how do you put it? Um, like society's judgment. You know, He says, you know, are you really gonna judge what happened to these people regardless of, of who, what politician, did it just something bad happened to them? Are you really gonna judge them like you're just as bad?
0: good Ruth
3: I think it's um he's more concerned about people's salvation than um than about what actually I mean not saying that these things don't matter but ultimately our ultimate concern would be our standing in in Christ
0: I think so I mean, and I don't think, I don't think there's any reason. I mean, I appreciate you, you know, clarifying there, but there's no reason for us to be bashful about that. It's true. Like Jesus said, and G, now Jesus doesn't negate that this was bad, but he does say, Hey, listen, that happened or that is happening. What are you doing about your life with God? You know, what are you doing to deal with that? Uh, Jesus pivots and makes the priority very clearly, um, uh, sets the priority or resets the priority on what's going on with people's relationship with God. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, it's so important to see that here in how Jesus talks about this. Uh, by the way, he also doesn't run away from the issues as if they're non-existent or they're not bad. I mean, but he's actually implicitly affirming, this was a really bad thing that happened, but there's worse stuff even than this that's happening. All right. I think this is a challenge for
1: us. If we're going to follow Jesus. Um, oh, Ben. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, please. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is kind of a challenge because I, I think what you said, a lot of it is how he refers to things, but doesn't he doesn't, you know, he doesn't go on talking about the politician. He doesn't have any kind of like I don't think he has more than like maybe, you know, four or five lines on if he, if even that much on any one leader or anything. I mean, I'm thinking of when he's talking about uh, Caesar when they go to him with the coins. Yep,
0: and we we'll come in there in just a minute. That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't say like you know this guy's Caesar. He's so narcissistic. He puts his face on everything. You know, he's making the money with his face on it. You know, he just says, uh, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And it's and what God what to God's, you know, contrasting the two. And, of course, Caesar or anyone would fall so short when compared to God, you know. And the only other time I could think of that – actually, I think I got him mixed up. But another one was when he says uh, – I think he's talking about uh, – Herod, he says, go tell that fox.
0: Yeah, don't, don't spoil it, man. We're coming to that next. You're, about, oh, you're sorry. like, spoiler alert, man. You got to give a warning for you do that. No, no, we're coming oh, to that sorry. in just a second. And hold on to that, because I want you to, you, you run a little harder, but I want us to, we'll come to that in just a second. Gotcha. That's, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. Your point is well taken, though, that the the relative, um, I mean, Jesus, is, again, he's not dismissive of problem that's going on in the world. And I think that that sometimes Christians um, receive that that critique. Hey, yeah. y'all are just talking about heaven so much, can't even do any good on earth. Well, I understand what what I think the concern is there. Uh, But if we're doing that, I hope we're doing it because we're following after the model that Jesus gives right here. Jesus says, you need to repent. Again, he's not dismissing that it's an issue. He's actually using it to talk about sin and eternal punishment. So he's actually showing just how bad it really is and acknowledging that and affirming the problems of the world. But... He's saying, really, what is what do you need to do in terms of your righteousness and between you and God? And we might say, well, yeah, that's because they were in under imperial rule and they didn't really have much influence in society. Look, Jewish people did not believe that, uh, and really, nobody really did in the Roman Empire. But especially, there were there were all kinds of insurrections popping up around the Roman Empire, and eventually they would fall apart. Uh, but Jews especially had a spirit of insurrection; they believed they could affect change. Uh, And they believed it probably even more than we do. We believe in it because of democracy. They believed in it because of the promise of scriptures, by the way, a false understanding of the promise of scriptures, but they really believed in it. And so Jesus doesn't encourage that kind of spirit of, Hey, you can change the world. The world is ruled by the evil one. You need to make sure you repent so that you're going to be right with God. And so that you will live righteously in the world. And you won't be like all these other sinners who are doing such horrifying, terrible things. And, so that in your repentance, you can aid as many people as possible uh, along your path. All right, um, let's actually, Brian already referenced this. Let's look at the end of Luke chapter 13. Look at verse 31, Luke 13 and verse 31. And uh, this is very, this is not about current events. This is about a political figure, Herod in particular. And I want you to listen to what was going on with Herod and Jesus, how Jesus talks about Herod, just what was interesting to you here. So we're moving on from talking about political current events, to talking about political leaders. Uh, Luke 13, verse 31. Uh, just at that time, some Pharisees approached Jesus, and they said to him, go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. Herod, by the way, so you had like, you know, Caesars out in Rome. Pilate was kind of the big dog of the Roman uh, overlords in the Judean region, but then there were uh, people under him, including the Herods. The Herods had curried favor with the Romans, and they were kind of these, uh, Sort of Jews that really were, were they were able to kind of keep the Jews in line, kind of keep the Romans happy. they were just a low- level middle management when it came to government. But anyway, still pretty important, pretty influential, enough to uh, have a bunch of babies killed whenever Jesus was born. You remember that story? Anyway, here's what Jesus says in response to Herod wanting to kill him. And Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow." And the third day I reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. Jesus then goes on to say some things about Jerusalem. What do you guys find interesting here about the way Jesus responds to this pretty serious threat? A government official wants you dead. He's coming after you. What do you notice about how Jesus speaks about Herod? About how he thought about Herod and his relationship to Herod, this political leader? What's interesting to you about how Jesus talks about this and thinks about this?
4: Um, he's definitely not afraid.
0: Yeah. What, what's what's hitting that in you uh, for you, Courtney? Where, where are you seeing that in particular in the way Jesus talks?
4: He didn't even really respond to the fact that Herod would kill him. He was just like. Let him know everything that I've done and that I'm going to do, um, yeah. which is interesting.
0: Yeah, I love that. It's such a flex by Jesus here. Yeah. What else do you guys see? Uh, what else is interesting to you about how Jesus responds to the threat of this leader? So one thing is he's not afraid. That's huge. What else do you see?
5: I think maybe kind of going along with that, it seems like he doesn't allow him to have like any power or control over what he's going to
0: do. Yeah. Jesus is like, look, Herod can do what Herod's going to do. I got, I got business to take care of. So whatever. He's, he's very much unfazed. Jessica.
6: All right. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so I thought it was interesting that he calls him a fox. Um, cause typically whenever you refer to someone as a fox, it's not a good thing. Um, so it, Kind of like, kind of what I say whenever, but when someone asks me, like, "Hey, how are you voting?" She's like, "Well, I'm gonna go go for the lesser of the two evils because it kind of like, it kind of speaks to politicians and how slick and sly they have to be. So it's mostly trying to find a balancing act between um, the lesser of the two evils, I believe. Um, and then kind of reminds me of um, in Acts where um, the apostles are saying, you know. Um, we ought to obey God rather than man. So he kinda, they kind of regurgitate, you know, Jesus's spirit um, whenever he's speaking in this passage as well.
0: I think you're right. And, and by the way, uh, what Jessica just mentioned is a good little preview. If I forget to mention earlier, Lord willing, next week we're going to look at how the early church interacted with the political figures of their day. The Book of Acts is full of political interactions of the early Christians. So we learn a lot about how to do it. Uh, And yeah, I mean, what Jessica just set up, uh, you know, that, that notion is of course, a common one. My guess would be a lot of you have have thought similar things whenever, if you, if you've chosen to vote, um, whenever you've gone to make that choice, you may have thought a similar thing. I don't really like either of these people, but I'm going to choose the lesser of the two evils. Implication being, they're both pretty evil, which again, we're not surprised by, because like the scriptures say, we know that the world is ruled by the evil one. So more often than not, not always necessarily, but more often than not, the kinds of people that the evil one, the ruler of this world engineers to rule our nation, uh, as I should say, the United States of America, they're probably going to look pretty evil to us as we're trying to follow after Jesus. Uh, just a little further on that. And I want to hear some more what you guys think about this. Jesus just doesn't hold back. He, he, he's not, well, here, you know, he's uh, pretty good. No, he's not. He's not good. He's a Fox but also it's not some like into the world i'm real worked up over this either it's just hey listen that guy's a fox all right that guy's a scoundrel and you can go tell him that i'm working for god i got stuff to do and if he wants me you can come after me i think it's kind of the implication of what jesus says but jesus is really unfazed and yet he is extremely clear on what he thought about the character of herod jesus didn't feel the need to cozy up to herod to praise him to try to act like he was something better than what he was. That's an important lesson, I think. Maybe we'll come back to that later some more. Uh, other thoughts, though. Um, you guys may have some more things to say about the Fox comment or just all this in general here in Luke 13 about how Jesus talks about um,
1: Herod and responds to Herod. Brian. Um, he also he points out that he's going to do this for three more days. It, it's it, I'm not sure if I'm inferring it right, but it's almost like he's saying – you know what, Aaron, I, You know I'm going to be doing this for three more days, and then you can you can go back to your worldly, you know, sinning. I won't be a thorn in your side anymore, you know. Which is kind of like saying to us or to non-believers, you know, like, you know, if you're if it bothers you so much to think about God, you know, you don't have to just like uh, turn it off, you know. And we'll go on with what we're doing, and and if you reject it, well, we you know we can't help you, kind of thing.
0: Yeah, the, you're right. Jesus is like, I'm going to keep on doing what I'm going to do, no matter what the the evil political ruler may say about it. Ruth, and then Joy, um,
3: what stands, Yeah, what stands out to me is the fact that this, it's the Pharisees that is warning him. And, um, yeah, so I think that for us, a lot of the times, people may be telling us to kind of dim down in fear of certain things that we shouldn't be bold about our stances just just because you know kind of would dangle um whether it's persecution or hostility towards us about certain things it's just quieting down even though the pharisees aren't necessarily for jesus, well for jesus actually at all
0: yeah right mm-hmm. but you bring up they certainly thought they were for god they would have thought of themselves that way but why did they know what's going on with Herod and seem to be kind of sent off as his little messenger boys? There, there seems to be a little bit of an alliance here, back to our points about what Israel was not supposed to do with worldly political powers. There's a little bit of alliance here that uh, the Pharisees have made with Herod. And, and they seem to, like you said, kind of uh, be um, modifying their behaviors in order to line up with Herod or support him or at least get his favor or whatever. Meanwhile, Jesus is doing the exact opposite as the Pharisees. He's challenging Herod. He's calling him a fox. He's like, I don't really care. I'm not looking for his support. You guys may be, but I'm not. And I think, you know, we've mentioned this a couple of times. It's worth mentioning again. Jesus and his followers never sought support from worldly governmental powers. They didn't expect it. They expected opposition, if anything, but even when it was possible to gain support, they didn't. Here we see the Pharisees, at least the implication is that they were seeking that kind of support. Uh, Joy, did you have something you want to share?
4: Um, I, I kind of think that he wanted Her, um, Herod to know, I know exactly who you are and what you're up to. I'm not deceived by your cunning. You know, you know, Jesus was able to read him as plain as a book. You know exactly what he was about and he was not phased um, by him. He had his job to do. He had a timeline and he knew he had to do what he had to do within that timeline. So he was not affected by what um
0: he taught about him i love that point i love that point yeah that's great that's really good Brittany.
2: i think it's just really fascinating then to go back to the comment that you that you just made of like jesus not seeking political support or and the apostles not seeking political support for you know, their movement, if you want to put it in today's vernacular, right? And I think that's really, really interesting for us to think about. Like, God doesn't need the government to support his kingdom. And like, from our perspective, we should think and believe that the only way God will prevail is if we have political backing for what his kingdom is. today's world and i think that's just i don't know i think that just resonates a lot especially with what we see today and just regular
0: politics yeah couldn't say it better i agree
1: ruth
3: yeah actually yeah Brittany, that makes me think about um in terms of like even with certain things that we um i said it in i guess in our nation and christianity and church culture would be so busy about attacking um certain laws or policies yet in their everyday lives are not like say for i mean i really i am uncomfortable speaking about it but i will but let's say let's talk about the issue of abortion where you know people will be like okay and I'm not, I'm not saying that this is necessarily wrong but would make much about how people are voting, um, whether it's left or right, yet um, in their personal lives, how do you view um, broken women who are find themselves in difficult situations? Um, how do you value, um, you know, how do you speak to that? How do you engage with that? It will be so messy are feeling like it'd be very difficult to engage with women personally
6: like, or even people is- you
3: know in your in your personal life um to talk about things yet be so bold about what the um government is has to say about that i don't know if that's too much of a strong opinion and a judgment about that but it's something for us to kind of sit back and examine
0: It may be too strong, I don't know, Ruth, but if it is, I fully agree with it. uh, uh, Just full disclosure here. I I mean, let's use another parallel kind of thing, Uh, you know, because we definitely, I mean, as Christians, we care very much about what's going on with babies and whether they're being um, murdered before they, you know, come to come to life, uh, you know, and and live in the world that is when they're alive in the womb. Uh, Similarly, we care very much about how minorities, immigrants, are treated. And yet, similarly, you can see you can see people, and I think we probably all know them, probably people who have a lot to say about uh, policies that need to be changed when it comes to uh, treatment of minorities in the united states of america and immigrants and so forth but then you start looking at people's social circles and you're like wait a second man i don't really see you engaging with anybody outside of you know kind of your uh, your social network that makes you nice and comfortable you know so it's the same kind of thing. What are we doing on a personal level? That's what Jesus was challenging. What are you doing in terms of righteousness? How are you repenting of sin versus how much are you getting worked up over what's going on in, uh, in the world? Um, I, I don't, and I, uh, by the way, Ruth, you can jump in if I'm kind of missing the point of what you were saying, but I think that's another similar kind that's, of that's exactly in my what consciousness saying. right now. Yeah. Good. Um, there's a couple other passages I want us to look at. Any other comments on this though, before we move on? Brian referred to another uh, interaction where Jesus talked about political matters. And I want you to go to Mark. I want to go to Mark's account in Mark chapter 12. Uh, the story about uh, Caesar. We've mentioned this. I know a lot of you read your Bibles uh, or, or read your Bible and stuff pretty seriously, so you, you may remember the story. But I do want to go and read it again and just remind you, because it's a a good one for this consideration of how Jesus thought about political matters. This is a great story on a couple levels. So I'm just going to read it and then, again, just respond. What do you see? Let's just chat about it a little bit. What do you see about how Jesus interacted with and talked about the politics of his day? Mark 12, beginning in verse 13. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus in order to trap him in a statement. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any, but you teach the way of God in truth. So is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Okay, so Caesar's out in Rome, the Jews are hundreds and hundreds of miles away. They were expected as subjugated peoples to pay taxes to Rome, which is how it works in imperial uh, uh, politics. Whenever you subjugate another nation by force, Either you say, "Hey, we'll kill you," or we'll take taxes from you. Which you want to do? And then people say, "Well, I guess we'll do the tax thing." And they go, "Okay, great. So you're going to pay taxes." All right. So now, but the Jews didn't like it. Obviously, like nobody would like paying taxes like this to Caesar. And so here's a question. Of course, Jesus is in trouble either way he goes on this. If Jesus says yes, pay the tax. Well, then a he's a just a general. Uh, Pariah, because he's betraying his own people. But it's also more than that. There's spiritual implications. You know, the Caesars, the coins that you would pay to Caesar, it would say so and so Caesar, whoever's in power at the time, a son of the gods. So, I mean, this was uh, to pay taxes to Caesar was to legitimize not only a wicked, unjust, uh, oppressive government, but also to legitimize a pagan king who would set himself up as a God to be worshiped. And so you're basically like the one way to look at this was hey you're offering sacrifice to a pagan king. So if Jesus says, yes, he gets in trouble both on a social level and spiritually with the people around him. Of course, if Jesus says no, then he's say, like, ha, see, we told you guys this guy has been trying to mess around with society. He's trying to be a revolutionary. He's trying to fight against Caesar, take him away centurion guard. So he's in trouble either way. Yes or no. So here's what Jesus says. Knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me denarius." So they brought him one. He said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is on it? And they said to him, Caesar's. So Jesus said to them, Okay. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And give to God the things that are God's. All right. What do you guys like about how Jesus talks about this? What he does say, what he doesn't say, what he indicates in his answer. Uh, what do you see in Jesus's interaction here with uh, the issue about paying
1: taxes to Caesar? Hey, Ben. Yeah, Brian. Um, I think it's amazing. And in, in,
0: just as you were reading it,
1: I thought of a different thing. Like if they weren't trying so hard to uh, catch him, to trap him, in his talk, like it says, if you look at this, you know, as a Christian, you could ask this question, you could say, Hey, this is a terrible world and government. Should I be voting? Should I be paying taxes? You know, we talked about some of these things because if we are, aren't these taxes showing that we're supporting these evil people who are, you know, doing these things, whether they're evil in our sight or evil, just because they're, you know, not of God. Um, so it could be a, 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 an actually good question to think about and yet they're asking in a way you know solely to trick him um saying that we know you you teach god really trying to emphasize that you know are you breaking the law of god um and so it's just it's just really amazing how he goes a different route because he says basically anything of the world give to the world because god doesn't want any of that stuff
0: yeah uh, I really like the way you said that, Brian, especially that one piece near the end. He goes a different route. Now, that's one, one piece here that I think is important to note. It's funny. So you've got a political alliance between the Pharisees and Herodians, right? You've got the Caesars. Jesus is not with any of them. He's not in alignment with the Pharisees or the Herodians, which were opposed groups, by the way. But here they make a little alliance to attack Jesus. Jesus isn't a part of either one of those groups. Certainly isn't a part of their little alliance for evil. He's not really supporting Caesar he's just, he's just other, he's different. He's something else because, well, we'll see more about that in a minute. Uh, other thoughts about this, uh, interaction and how Jesus talks about this question about Caesar and about relationship to Caesar and the taxes and all that kind of thing. What else do you guys think is interesting about how Jesus talks about this or what's noteworthy or questions you got or whatever?
6: Um, so I was just thinking about, um, how deeply the comments that jesus makes how how deeply it makes you think um in terms of like what is really important in life and following god um it kind of reminded me of the israelites um i think it's when when saul took some of the things from one of the, the cities they raided he was like oh i took this so i could sacrifice to god um and samuel told him like hey is it better to give sacrifice or to obey. Um, just just keeping in mind, like, you know, giving people what, you know, Caesar created this coin, he wants to give it back to him. it's okay. At the end of the day, what am I supposed to give God? Um, he wants my obedience. So showing people how to obey God more than like little trinkets or whatever else that may trip us up in life. Um, yeah, I'm not really tying it in that well, but it just made me think about, um, you know, what was what, being a Christian all
0: about at the end of the day. Amen. No, I think, yeah, I think that's a perfect time And really similar, by the way, think about, remember, the, the Galileans and the tower thing. Like, hey, you need to repent. Here it's, hey, give to Caesar the stuff, but you make sure. The thing that bears the image and likeness of God, that's you. And you need to be obeying God. You need to give yourself over to God. Uh, no, I think that's a great point. I'll just highlight one more thing before we go to John 18 for our last text for tonight. Um, Similarly to what Jesus did in Luke 13. In Luke 13, right, Jesus said, you go tell Herod that fox. Okay, so he's kind of delegitimizing Herod as far as being anything. And he says, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and do the stuff that I'm going to do no matter what Herod says. Similarly with Caesar, this text, and you guys have already hit this, right? For one, Jesus just says, listen, submit to the governing authorities over you. I mean, just pay your taxes, okay? I know they may be unjust taxes, but you go ahead and pay them. Secondly, you make sure that you're devoted to God. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are God's. But thirdly, and and arguably the biggest message Jesus gets across here is he differentiates the Caesar and God. In other words, Jesus makes it really clear that he did not think of Caesar as a God, he delegitimized. And, of course, the Caesars claimed their authority partly because they said we're gods. That's why you should obey us, do what we say, et cetera. Jesus says, no, they're not gods. There is a, there is one God, and he's the one you serve. He's the one you trust in. He's the one you believe and obey. So Jesus, all at the same time, says, submit to the governing authorities that are over you. Most of all, obey and trust in God. And thirdly, recognize that those governing authorities, they are not your God. They're not the end of your world. There's something higher above them brilliant stuff as always from jesus and he takes this political discourse and he gives his political agenda the kingdom political agenda when talking about the uh the political um discourse of the world all right one more text we'll look at and then we'll wrap it up john chapter 18. john 18 jesus has been captured by judas and the rabble uh they've been he's been taken into custody and he's been brought before pilate and we'll start reading verse 33 and I'd just like you to just hit on if, if you were in the room and you walked out later, you went home for dinner after Jesus was crucified, and somebody said, hey, what was thing like today at Pilate's uh, palace? I heard there was kind of a big execution, something people were going crazy today. What would you say about this man, Jesus, who you maybe would have never met before? You just would have seen this one. You've seen lots of criminals come through Pilate's um, judgment hall. But this guy, there was something different about him. Something different about the way he talked, about the way he carried of himself, about the way he thought about his life and his impending death. John eighteen, beginning in verse 33. We're kind of getting into the middle of the conversation, but we'll do it anyways. John eighteen, verse thirty three. Therefore Pilate again entered into the praetorium and summoned Jesus, and he said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting for me so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this, I have been born. And for this, I've come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? What do you guys think here? What do you notice about this interaction between Jesus and at least anybody he would ever meet? In his in his lifetime on Earth, the highest political official he ever interacted with. What's interesting to you about the this this dialogue between Jesus and Pontius Pilate? Um,
1: yeah, I think like Jesus Jesus always has these conver- like flabbergasting conversations where, you know, like earlier he goes a different way. I think this is kind of like one of the if not like the highlight of it, where, you know, he gets asked all these questions and he, he just, you know, he, it's like turns your mind inside out with what he, what how he responds, you know, like he uses, he uses whoever's words is saying something about him since they are usually worldly words and completely, you know, turns them around and, and says, you know, these are your words. And uh, so it's just like, And it just kind of blows your mind. But um, I also, I do have a question. Um, When he says, you say that I am a king, um, why does he say it that way? Does he, I mean, he obviously doesn't think, well, I don't know. I I guess that's my question. Why does he say it that way? I don't think he's thinking that Pilate thinks he's a king. But why do you think he's saying it that way? Instead of just saying, oh, you know, you do, you do you think I'm a king? And so instead he just says, you think I'm a king or you say that I'm a king. Yeah. Um, the, the way
0: John presents Jesus and especially in Jesus' conversations, the way John remembers those things and records those things is uh, almost always kind of cryptic, kind of strange. And uh, there's probably a lot of reasons just in the context of the gospel of John, probably things I don't fully understand personally. Others may have some insight on this. Uh, I'll tell you what I think is going on and somebody else can correct or, or give a different perspective on this. I wouldn't fight for this, but I think to answer your question that what's happening is, is that Jesus is trying to make challenge Pilate, like he was doing with everybody, especially in the gospel of John, Jesus was always trying to challenge people's thoughts and, uh, and get them to interrogate their own perception of him in particular. So I think the way it goes is Pilate says, Hey, are you a King? And Jesus says, who told you that? You come up with that on your own, or did somebody tell you? Making Pilate think, wait, is this for real? You know. Uh, and then whenever he says, "So you are a king," and Jesus says, "You said it." This is why I came. Almost like instead of saying that is true, he's like, "Yeah, you're getting there. You're getting pretty close, buddy. Keep on coming, and you might actually believe one day." That that's the way I read it is that Jesus okay. is kind of uh, poking at Pilate, trying to make him believe in the gospel of Jesus' rule.
1: Yeah, at that, at that line I was thinking, just today, I was thinking, oh, maybe he is kind of saying, you say I'm a king, and because then he says, for this purpose. Yeah. So, yeah, it's almost like every person he sees, he's trying to, well, he is, he's trying to bring them over exactly. against, their, against themselves, you know? That was Jesus' politics,
0: yeah. to convince people to become his disciples. That was his, po- ultimately, right? And because in doing that, he would make people be what they ought to be in the in the truest sense. Y'all keep going. What else is interesting to you about? Oh, great question, Brian. Thanks. Um, other other observations here about Jesus's interaction with Pilate that you guys found interesting. Ruth, go ahead.
3: Um, I see here that um he's also kind of like. First of all, I find this to be extremely odd, peculiar. This conversation just just seems odd. So if I were to leave the room and talk about it, I'd be like it. It's odd, but it's something that I think that he's setting his kingdom apart from everything. Yes. So it's not. It's not like he's. It, he may. Pilot may be thinking, it's the. It's on the same level as everything else, and he's like, no, I'm. I surpass all of this. So you know.
0: Yeah. My kingdom is not of this world. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, it, and therefore it's not in competition. I mean, there's a sense in which it is, but Jesus is like, look, I'm not in competition with the Jews. I'm not in competition with Rome. My kingdom's not even of this world, man. I mean, it's just as much competition as a professional football team has with a peewee football team. You're kind of playing the same sport, but not even really. I'm not even in the same stratosphere as you. It's a totally different thing. And it's important as followers of Jesus for us to recognize that we've joined something that is completely other than the political activities and discourse that goes on around us. It's so important to realize that. Jesus wanted us to realize that. Other thoughts uh, on this. I think that's a huge one. The my kingdom is not of this world thing is a huge, huge uh, lesson from this interaction. Uh, this This is a reiteration of something we've already said, but I think it's important to just note how much this is a part of Jesus's politics. Jesus had an opportunity here to get a really important political figure on his side but he doesn't really try very hard or, or if not on his side to at least support him. Uh, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And then he goes and say, if it were my servants would fight for me and try to prevent me from being arrested. But he could have said, Hey Pilate, listen, man, my kingdom's really good. My citizens, I teach them to be submissive. When centurions ask them to go one mile, I tell them they got to go too. like my, my people would be your best citizens. So you really should help me out and help my kingdom out and my followers out. Jesus didn't try to, convince Pilate to protect him personally, nor to show favor to his followers. Jesus didn't seek personal vindication or strength for his movement uh, or for himself from this political figure. Jesus not only saw himself as something otherworldly, he saw everything about his movement as an otherworldly movement. And whenever Pilate says, aha, you are a king, Jesus says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's what I want to tell you about as king. I want to tell you about the truth. I want to tell you about the truth, which Pilate then is like, I don't care about that, man. Like I'm here for, I'm here for political points. That's all I'm trying to do is just hang on to my power. You know, Jesus, once again, takes the conversation and pivots it into something else. Ruth, what you got?
3: Yeah. So um, this is kind of sobering because, um, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's for us actually, home speaking personally right now. But the fact that he's he's saying this, and here you you see this kind of political conversation with a political figure, and he's setting himself apart. Yeah, and he's talking about like listen, hey, I am truth. Like for us, and he and then then he goes and says, Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So for us to be Christians who are a part of the kingdom, the way we kind of um you know especially in our politics this day it's almost like we're so kind of um contentious or we are up in arms we there's a lot of fear mongering going on as if we are not you know walking in truth we don't know we, we yeah it's you know so for me it's, a, it's very sobering to kind of checking myself to be like you know what i get it like ultimately Remember that the kingdom that you are a part of it's not on the same place here especially like in America in the time in history like somehow we kind of feel like it's a unique time it's you know it's somewhere special even though i understand the, all the chaos that's happening and it's it's different and i'm not trying to say that our anxieties don't matter or or should be dismissed but Ultimately, we should be looking at this and saying, you know what, I get it. You know, my emotions, how I view things, policies, politics, all of that. Yeah, we can we can engage, but not be so up in arms, putting our security in it.
0: That's right. Amen. Yeah. Amen. All right. I want to bring it home with a couple of principles here uh, just to wrap things up. Uh, really kind of reviewing all the things that the rest of you have already pointed out, but I think it's worth just kind of tying it off. But before we do that, any comments, thoughts, observations about just what what's interesting to you either in any of these stories in particular or on more of a meta level, just things that you notice about how Jesus engaged with the political uh, environment that he was in and any lessons that you're
1: drawn out of this for yourself, Brian. Yeah. I just thought Ruth just made a really great, um, I don't know, like overall just, philosophy about worrying about the world and, 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 you know, getting up in arms. I was, um, and along, along the lines, I was thinking um, that the stories of Jesus, like with each person here and each entity that he's dealing with, it just, it gives me comfort because when I start to worry um, about something, even beyond like going out and protesting or something, if I'm worried, like, you know, about the next election, this election or something, I'm you know, really afraid what might happen. I have to remember, just like Ruth said, you know, like, and also like Jesus is, I think, pointing out to us, we are of a different kingdom. We have to stay in that kingdom. Um, and we have to trust that, you know, more and more is going to happen every time we think, okay, I'm not, I'm not, I've mastered the world. I'm not worried about it. It seems like there's something else that's going to happen yeah. that's going to take on that comfort, you know, and we have to remember that's going to happen and just know, just keep coming to God and um, and have faith in, in what we've had faith in all along um, because it, it seems like there's always something else in the world that's going to really tempt us to say like, no, it's not working, you know, and, and so this really comforts me. Amen. Well said. Uh, Courtney, and then Robin.
4: Um, Yeah, I was just thinking about all the interactions that we read about with Jesus and how confident and sure he was with all of his answers. And it just made me realize that he didn't have to worry because um, he knew that we already won. And the little details of like, oh, should this person be doing this and those kind of things he always took it to more of an eternity and having um not being um i guess not having to worry about if um the certain people should be on his side or not because he knows like in the end he is the one who's going to be the winner i guess i can't find another word but that's um, a good word. Yeah, having that confidence and knowing that yes, right now, things are kind of like nitty gritty details, but just looking more towards the future and knowing that um, it will be okay in the end. That makes sense.
0: Amen. Uh, yeah. Amen. It's awesome. Robin.
4: Um,
5: yeah, connecting kind of something that you said and that Ruth said about um, when you said like. Jesus didn't take the opportunity to try to say, like, hey, you should be on my side. Um, this is what I can do for you. It, it just reminded me of how the more and more I, like, learn about politics um, and the more and more I, like, see things, now I'm seeing that, like, a lot of politicians are, like, opportunists. And, like, that's, that's pretty much, like, their end game, it seems yeah. like. And it's really i don't know it's like really heartbreaking because it's it's like i basically want to get to the top i want to have all the money i want to do the things that are going to benefit me no matter who i have to step on or who like gets who gets um destroyed in the process and then i thought about like um like what Ruth was saying, and I know like during those times, like when I'm like seeing all this, reading it, watching YouTube videos about it, I'm usually like, I have to get to a point where I'm like, oh my goodness, like, I'm so happy, like this world is not my home. Yeah. And if I didn't have that to look forward to, like I would be really like up in arms about it.
0: Amen. That's right. God bless all of you who are following Jesus so closely. And it's awesome. Uh, This this is the only way we can survive. And that's the thing, like, in many ways, the Christian view of politics is a way of surviving our our political environment and thriving uh, in in a way that that promotes righteousness in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our communities, wherever we may have some measure of influence. That's what we want to do. We want to shine as lights in the world. Caring like Jesus did about another world, about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, of not trying to rely on worldly sources of strength, it makes us better in the world. It doesn't make us less valuable on earth. It makes us more valuable, but even more valuable than being valuable on earth. It makes us valuable for eternity and it helps us to be able to uh, to aid others. Let me just summarize some of the things we've talked about and then we'll bring it home here. Uh, some lessons learned from Jesus' politics. First off, Jesus turned focus away from earthly political concerns toward righteousness before God. Almost every one of these stories we looked at, whether it was the, hey, should we pay taxes? Well, all of a sudden, Jesus is talking about who the real God is and how you should devote yourself to him. Uh, hey, Jesus, what's going on? What do you think should go on about those Galileans who pilot? Well, Jesus says, well, hey, Ben, have you repented of your sins? Because whatever happened to those folks? It, worse could happen to you you know and of course here with pilate are you a king are you re- are you lun- are, le- are you leading a revolution listen my kingdom's not of this world i'm here to testify of the truth jesus constantly turned focus away from earthly political concerns toward righteousness uh, in the sight of god and let me just make an application here and let me challenge you and i, and I don't th- this challenge is a challenge that i wrote down in my notes not knowing who would be on the study night so this isn't me picking at anybody Uh, Matter of fact, I think I know from a a number of you the way you do this, and I'm going to say God bless you and continue. But I do want to issue this challenge for us, both in how we ourselves engage and who we uh, uh, interact with a lot. In your social media activity, could this be said of you? Do you turn focus away from earthly political concerns in favor of turning it toward issues of righteousness before God? Uh, By the way, you may talk about the same issues that other people talk about race relations uh treatment of the poor or children sexual ethics whatever you can talk about those things because those are righteousness things the issue isn't about it's not a worldly political issue for us it's a righteousness thing it's a repentance thing it's about doing what pleases god that's how jesus handled his politics if jesus had and this is a corny thing to say but if jesus had an instagram account what would he be posting on there? What would be on his stories? What would he be re- retweeting on Twitter? What kinds of arguments would he be engaging in on Facebook? You get what I'm saying? We need to think about that and learn that lesson as we try to follow after him. Second lesson learned from Jesus' politics, Jesus unabashedly, though respectfully spoke truth to power without prejudice. When Herod sent messengers, Jesus said, listen, you can go tell that Fox. Jesus unabashedly called him what he was because he was a fox and nobody would deny that. I don't even think Herod would have denied that. Jesus didn't feel the, feel the need to cozy up to Herod or try to talk about, well, Herod's done a lot of really good things. No, look, he's a fox, all right? And you can tell him he can do whatever he wants to do. But at the same time, uh, and I, we didn't read this, but in Luke 23, Jesus gets taken before Herod. He doesn't trash him. He doesn't yell at him. He just respectfully stands there. He doesn't say anything, as a matter of fact. Here before Pilate, Jesus could have ripped Pilate a new one, but he doesn't. While Jesus spoke, while while Jesus was um, bold, he was also humble with these rulers, which is amazing. And he wasn't trying to curry their favor. He didn't have any prejudice about, like, I think this guy could really help me out. You know, I should really uh, be nice towards Caesar because Caesar's the ruler of the whole world. And I'm going to have followers out there in Rome one day. Jesus didn't think about that. He was non-prejudicial about the fact that he would speak truth to power no matter what that's a good lesson for us too i shouldn't be so um so concerned about the evils of one political figure that i paper over the evils of another i shouldn't be so concerned oh look at the hypocrisy or look at the 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 secularism of a particular political party that i just pretend like the other one's a good one i can't do that Uh, and by the way you guys know that happens on both ends of the political spectrum in our nation. Jesus unabashedly, though respectfully, spoke truth to power without prejudice. And third and final thing I'll highlight as far as lessons learned from Jesus, not only did he turn focus away from earthly political concerns in favor of turning them toward righteousness before God. Secondly, he unabashedly, though respectfully, spoke truth to power without prejudice. The third and final thing I think we see from all these, at least that I'll point out you guys may want to add on to this list, Jesus viewed political figures as only minimally influential in his life. They were influential. He doesn't, whenever Herod sent messengers, Jesus doesn't not respond. Whenever he was brought before Pilate, Pilate did have some role to play in Jesus's uh, eventual crucifixion. Uh, Paying taxes to Caesar was a part of the life of Jesus and his followers. But it's so obvious that it was just so minimal. He was unafraid. He wasn't overly angry. I know he was disturbed by what Pilate did, but he didn't let that anger tear him off course. I, he clearly looked poorly on Herod's character, but he didn't let that become the, the, the dominating issue of his life. Uh, it didn't keep him up at night. I don't think there's any indication of that. With Caesar, all these political figures were only minimally influential in his life. Political figures in our world today are influential in our lives, but honestly, not that much, because there's only one political figure who really matters in our lives, and that's the one who died for us and who rose from the dead and who's coming back one day so that his kingdom will rule forever and ever. That's how Jesus thought about politics and how he related the politics of this world. And I think the same should be true of us.
1: The aim of The Way BK
3: is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.